In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Of the many different wonderful experiences that um, happened during seminary, was watching friends, older friends, complete their, um, their studies. Not just seminarians who were finished with their their bachelor's and their uh, licentiate degrees and going home to be ordained, but even the priests who were back in Rome for graduate school who were doing their doctoral degrees, whether it be doctorates in philosophy or theology or canon law. Attending their doctoral dissertation defenses was quite an event. Um, A friend of mine even defended his his doctorate in Latin. Um, Needless to say, very few people were in the room understanding what was going on. But what I regard as the most uh, unique uh, doctoral uh, event uh, was when I was present at the Mass offered by Pope John Paul II when he declared St. Therese of Lisieux a doctor of the church. I always refer to that as my attending her, her doctoral defense. It's a beautiful uh, and unique event, uh, and yet it happens, um, it's happened several times in our lifetime. Uh, no matter how young we are, it's happened at least once in our lifetimes uh, of all here present. I mention it because all of us like to brag about someone we know, someone we love, whether it be uh, the college stickers on our vehicles or my, you know, my child is an honor student or my kid beat up your honor student. Um, we all like to feel important because of the people associated with us. As Christians, we can feel very important. In fact, um, there is nothing more important than the ones whom God has associated with us. He says already in the Old Testament, foreshadowing what will be dispensed to the world through the Catholic Church, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands to which I have driven them and bring them back to their meadow. I will appoint shepherds for them who will shepherd them so that they need no longer fear and tremble, and none shall be missing, says the Lord. In two ways, this is fulfilled in the church. First and foremost, in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is the shepherd, who is God himself, gathering the remnant of the flock, and who is also sent and continues to send shepherds after his own heart. And so we are God's people, gathered by Christ, to be one with him, and in so doing, to be one with each other. There's also an ancient understanding that the church understands that the Jewish people, at the end of time, will also be reunited with Christ and God through the church in a way that um, uh, has only a mystical explanation. And the Lord not only appoints popes and bishops and priests, but he gives to each of his baptized sons and daughters the mission of shepherding. Consider what happens in a flock. Even if we haven't seen one, we can imagine that there is a shepherd, and then there's um, 
moderately regulated chaos. And the sheep themselves are either steering the other sheep closer to the shepherd and towards the right direction, or are kicking and biting each other and causing some sheep to to go the opposite direction. One first practical consideration, how do we correct people? All of us have to think about this, not just uh, priests and bosses and moms and dads, but everyone. How do we correct people? Do we correct people such that they're tempted to give up or that they're encouraged to try harder? When we're coaching, when we're mentoring, we know how to speak to someone, to try to encourage them, to try to help them. And we also know what it's like to use a tone of voice that is trying to get that person to choose another sport, to abandon the field. Well, in that matter, which is of greatest importance, the faith and perseverance towards heaven, how do we correct people? Whether it be our superiors or our subordinates or our peers, do we correct them such that we're nudging them in the right direction? Or do we bite and kick them such that they are tempted to to give up? The Lord promises that the shepherds will shepherd after his own heart. And so we have not only um, a generic assistance, but one which conveys the truth of Christ. Already in the New Testament, there are shepherds, there are false apostles, false teachers who are called out even by name in the New Testament and others generically. St. Paul especially takes them to task and makes clear what is the guide. The guide is the gospel that Christ preached to us. The good news that was first proclaimed by the church, that is the standard. Anything else comes from the devil. And not only does he say, woe to them who teach falsehood, but even woe to us for not being able to recognize that it was false. Caveat emptor, right? Buyer beware. And so we develop a sense of the faith. We develop a sense of what's true based on what we know is absolutely true. Beginning with the gospel. Beginning with the the proclamation announced by the apostles about the divinity of Christ, his resurrection from the dead, and all that follows from that. And yet for many of us, our, our sense of the faith is rather stunted. Even for me, as a, as a young man, even as a boy, listening to my brother come home from seminary, because he started seminary when I was in sixth grade, telling us about all the things that the church teaches that we had never heard before. Was a, was a, a it was a great antidote before I went to uh, learn religion in high school. And secondly, it was a, it was a great formation to begin to see a, a vision, not just of individual teachings that the church teaches based on what this pope said or what that encyclical said, but the, but the, but the organic whole of what Christ reveals and what's, what's true as a result of the deposit of faith, this, this, this gift of, of, of insight and wisdom and teaching that Christ gives to the world through the church. The problem is that that development of my, of my sensus fidei, my sense of the faith, 
sort of stopped at the end of 12th grade when I was on my own, on my own and then in college. Finally, when I went to graduate school at Catholic U, I realized how much of the sense of the faith that I should have learned in college that I didn't. A lot of us are in a similar predicament, one way or another. We have those shining lights who taught us the truth. Maybe a second grade teacher, maybe mom, maybe a grandfather. But how much more have we, have we gone beyond that? And so our teaching the faith to others, our encouraging them, our, our coaching them as spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers, frequently amounts to little more than our telling people what makes sense to us, instead of sharing with them the truth of which we are certain, the vision of the church which we know, as opposed to our opinions which we hold dear because we hold all of our opinions dear, and because we're, we're certain about some things, we assume that we're certain about everything. And so what I want to leave with you is an interest in the doctors of the church. Certainly the church, when she canonizes saints, and canonizations happen frequently, she is not trying to accumulate a list of all those people who we know to be in heaven. If that were the case, there would be a bureaucracy bigger than you can imagine that'd be, that would take up more space than the city of Rome to accumulate all the lists of all the names of all the people that we know to be in heaven. Rather, when the church canonizes someone, she holds up someone as an example of true virtue, who actually sets an example, not someone who just simply happens to have gotten into heaven. By the same token, not everyone who's canonized, who's held up as an example of virtue, is also held up as an example of learning. And so it's those doctors of the church whom the, whole, whom the church presents to us as examples of teachers, of good teachers, of reliable teachers. And so in addition to our favorite authors, whom we know to be in union with the church, and even in addition to our favorite saints, whom we hold dear, we would do well to pay attention to the perennial wisdom of the church. We can actually personify it. It's the truth and the life that was lived and conveyed by, by anonymous Christians in large numbers for a long time under persecution. And it was lived before it was discussed. It was lived and conveyed before it was written down. But fortunately, there are some bright lights who have, who have given expression to it that we can still read to this day. Interestingly enough, only two of the dozens of doctors of the church are popes. So this isn't the popes trying to uh, increase their stock. It really is their, their pastoral gift to us to, to keep the flock together, to follow the light of Christ, which shines brightly through all of us and shines even brighter through some of us. And so instead of just giving, listing you the names, as we did uh, recently, we'll ask them in a litany to pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pope St. Gregory the Great, pray for us. St. Ambrose, pray for us. St. Augustine, pray for us. St. Jerome, pray for us. St. John Chrysostom, St. Basil the Great, St. Gregory Nazianzen, 
St. Athanasius, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Bonaventure, St. Anselm, St. Isidore of Seville, St. Peter Chrysologus, Pope St. Leo the Great, St. Peter Damien, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, St. Hilary of Poitiers, St. Alphonsus Liguri, St. Francis de Sales, St. Cyril of Alexandria, St. Cyril of Jerusalem, St. John Damascene, St. Bede the Venerable, St. Ephraim, St. Peter Canisius, St. John of the Cross, St. Robert Bellarmine, St. Albert the Great, St. Anthony of Padua, St. Lawrence of Brindisi, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Catherine of Siena, St. Teresa of Lisieux, St. John of Avila, St. Hildegard of Bingen, St. Gregory of Narek, all you angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.